You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we finally get Gremlins, the new resurgence. Adam, Thomas, and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, the new batch. And I am Adam Thomas, and why do I exist? And that's the existential questions we all face. <laughs> yes. <every day. laughs> and uh, that laughing you heard is not a gremlin in the system, but it is... Heather Powell, our guest for the evening from the Friday Nightmares podcast. Uh, Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and you host the Friday Nightmares podcast with a uh, previous guest, uh, Scott Crawford, who's been on a couple times. Yes, I do. I'm on a couple other podcasts, too, but we can talk about those later. The main one is Friday Nightmares. Hey, we'll, we'll give you a chance to plug. Hold on. Hold your horses. Yeah, hold up. Don't get too excited now. But we invited you on, Heather, because we were curious after we had Skyline so many times, and we gave you a list of topics, and you decided to go for tonight's topic, which is long-delayed sequels. Though, keep in mind, that is in reference to um, sequels that came out at least, like, five years or so after the original. Gad, and we kind of came to this conclusion that anything more than five years is kind of weird for a sequel, right? Like, the average is, like, two to four, pretty much, usually in between the original and the sequel to follow. Yeah, I'd say you're pushing it a little bit if it's past five. Not only is it sort of left the zeitgeist, cultural zeitgeist by that point of whatever it was, but you know, then you got to deal with you know people looking f- over five years older. You got to deal with new technology. You got to deal with you know possible studio head changes, so the story's not really going to sometimes mesh with the original as well. But yeah, anything over five years, it's, it's really sort of tricky to pull off. Right, and uh, what kind of attracted you to this as a topic, Heather? Well, I actually really like sequels. I'm one of those people that get really excited when they make a sequel to a movie. Um, the One of the movies tonight was um, not that good at all, and we'll talk about that later. But I generally enjoy them. But I would agree, there's usually a time frame, and if you pass that time frame, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's really just a cash grab for maybe actors that aren't getting a lot of work anymore. It, that tends to be, unless you, like, do something with purpose. Like, one of my favorite examples of, like, a trilogy is the Before Sunrise, Sunset, Midnight trilogy with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And they purposely do it every nine years. So it's like, oh, let's catch up with these characters at this point. If you have it with purpose. And there are those also that, like, are, there's huge spans. We'll talk about it in the feedback, especially. You guys, just a lot of great ones that we'll get to. Our main two uh, films, uh, which, if you're new, every week Adam and I pick um, two movies at random. Um, you know, we have a good movie and a bad movie that's picked randomly at the end of every episode for the next week. And so, uh, first we'll do our bad pick, which is Independence Day Resurgence. And, uh, we'll also talk about our good pick after that, which is Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Uh, which, that was my choice, and I had the choice of Independence Day Resurgence. And we'll get into that, uh, right now. So here first, Independence Day Resurgence. We found something out here. 
20 years trying to get us ready for this. They're coming back. Today, you will once again be fighting for our freedom. <laughs> so, Independence Day Resurgence came out June 24th, 2016, a full 20 years after the original film. And we should, I guess, talk about with both these movies, obviously, our thoughts on the original films. Uh, so, Independence Day came out in 1996, was a big hit. Heather, are you a fan of that original movie? Yeah, like, it came out. So, you know, I was right at that age where that kind of movie would really be fun. Probably like one of the first real action movies I probably went and saw by myself in the theater. I loved Will Smith at the time. Who didn't? And I liked the characters. Like it was fun. It was a fun film. I've I've grown a little tiresome of the speech that they make in it that Bill Pumpman does at the end. Oh boy. And you must have loved the plot device of this movie. <laughs> the opening. Um, I appreciated it when I was younger, but as an adult, I was like, oh, really? Like, come on. And, like, people around, like, in the Middle East are like, yeah, like, I don't know. That's not a thing. But, yeah, like, you know what? At the time, I thought it was a really cool movie. I thought it was marketed well. The special effects were decent. I enjoyed it. Well, Adam and I have kind of referenced on the show previously that we're not especially fans of the original movie, right, Adam? I'm not not putting words in your mouth, am I? No, that's fine. I want to say I was around the same age when it came out. And I remember then thinking, this is fucking stupid (laughs) like like, he hacks the alien ship what the fuck like i just it's just i really really wasn't a fan and i hated the speech i thought it was just the ultimate just patriotic stereotypical babbling bullshit and i'm not a huge bill pullman fan anyways like i like him in a couple things but he just didn't have like even the delivery power to, to put any umph behind it for me i'm like this is just fucking stupid as I've gotten older, I realize I fucking hate it. Like, I, I really hate it. I do not like it at all. I, I, I get, you know, Will Smith. It was a huge sort of star-making turn for him. It really sort of made him Will Smith. Because for perspective on his career, that was like right around the time that Fresh Prince ended. Yeah. Yeah, it was like his first yeah. big, big movie. That made was this him before a... Men in Black, guys? Right before, like the year before. Yeah. Okay. It was like the first big blockbuster he was in and it made him a leading man like almost instantly like he was incredibly sought after so i get why that sort of why it left its mark if anything for that reason alone but i'd argue the rest of it is really sort of stereotypical treats you like you're stupid treats the audience like they're dumb sort of just blockbuster fair i i I don't think it really has anything of value to it in all honesty. Um, I won't be as harsh, I want to say. Oh, what a fucking shocker. I, what? Thomas is nice <laughs> on the movie? Never. Um, but um, I, I think with that movie, the thing is, I am of two minds with it, where I think the first half, the buildup, is actually pretty tremendous in that movie. I think all the buildup around, like, oh my god, the aliens are here, what's going to happen? All the way to, like, the iconic sort of uh, White House blowing up bit. I think is pretty fun, and I think it's actually, like, builds up a lot of mystique and mystery, and then I think right after that, it turns into what you're talking about, where it's just, like, stupid pablum bullshit. <laughs> it's just, especially, like, as a kid, even, I was just like, this is just ripping off Star Wars, with, like, all this, like, the <laughs> trench runs and all this other shit. Even, like, then, I was like, this is bullshit. You're just ripping it off. <laughs> uh, you know, there was a big gap, obviously, despite that being such a massive hit, uh, between the sequel and stuff, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, who were, like, the brain of 
that particular movie. We're like, I don't know if we really want to do a sequel. We've been thinking about it for like even a solid 10 years before this movie ended up in production. And uh, and we got it. And shocker that 20 years later, no one really cared. Like at all. <laughs> nobody, and that's it, nobody in the movie cares either. No. Like, at, least the, at least the returning actors, they don't give a shit. I will no. give one exception later to that, but most of it I completely agree with. I mean, they're clearly banking at this point on like, oh, it'll be, you know, like Jurassic World was a massive hit. Like just the year before, 90s nostalgia, it's in. So we totally are going to bank on it. And right. yeah, it for its uh, $167 million budget only made $390 million, which if you get like actual accounting of like box office advertising, and, like, advertising and, yeah. they would hope for like three times their budget, basically, especially because sure. they wanted to make another sequel. They were like, oh, we're going to shoot these back to back originally. And then Fox was like, hold on, <laughs> let's do one. We'll see how the other does. Um, and that sequel is not happening. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, of course not. Je- clearly, Jeff Goldblum didn't give a fuck. I mean, it was obvious. No. Not Even all. in his facial reactions and shit, like, you know, when they're flying and he's, you know, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, I did turn on the pulse drive or whatever stupid stereotypical fucking name they have for it. And he just puts no emotion into any of his reactions, period. Then you got not Thor. Who's not good. He's just, yeah, he's yeah. not really good. He's really wooden. He doesn't have half the charisma that his brother has. Because uh, he takes himself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Where Chris Hemsworth does not. Like, he's just a goof. I'd even say the other Hemsworth brother who's on Westworld is a way better actor than him. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then the fucking kid, I, I don't know his name. But the kid who was in Shaft uh, last year. Uh, Jesse Usher, yeah, who was the... The kid that was uh, his stepson from the last movie. He's a real black hole of charisma. Oh, he's fucking terrible. Like, he's rallying these troops. He put them to fucking sleep. Like, seriously. (laughs) It's just... It's ridiculous, man. At least what the first one had, the special effects were, like, fucking state-of-the-art at the time. It was Mm -hmm. insane. This one, they're so spotty. Yeah. Like, there are some of the effects work that looks great. Like, that giant fire cloud rolling in. Looks awesome. But then when you see the aliens like in their cells, it looks like a video game. We'll get into more of the specifics, but Heather, you haven't had much chance to actually talk about the movie. Wow, I didn't I didn't think it would be this bad at all. But it was the writing for me, it wasn't even the acting. The script was painful. Like there were lines in this movie that I couldn't even understand who thought they should like was a five year old writing the script? It was just so poorly done. Like the whole Bill Putman being so like he's senile and he's kind of there and then suddenly halfway through the film he's okay and he can fly a jet like a fucking spacecraft like it was just so spotty and the cheesiness of how many times they had to like clarify that Will Smith was not going to show up they had a poster of him at the beginning (laughs) and then they had to mention I wish my dad could be here to see this and like how did Vivier Fox go from being a stripper to a doctor that runs a medical facility. Like, I'm not saying, like, Wasn't girl power here. was she in nursing here. school? I think she was in uh, Yeah, I think that's the... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember the awkward conversation between her and the first lady when she thought she was a ballerina. <laughs> she was a stripper. <laughs> I feel like Will Smith, like, I, I read some information that you shared, but I feel like he looked at the script and was like, uh, no thank you. Yeah, of this course. Fucking sense. I don't want to be part of this at all. But he did in the nice Will Smith where just like, guys, I got Suicide Squad. Yeah, can I, I'm so sorry, uh, Roland. My, <laughs> we're great, but no. <laughs> and 
the horrible like lack of chemistry between the couples in this was painful and like the bodyguard and like the relationship with the bodyguard and the president and trying to protect the daughter and the daughter wanted to go up like it was just and like as a canadian from the outside looking in 2016 would have been the year that we stopped looking at the americans to lead us why what would happen four months after that what are you talking about i think current leadership i wouldn't trust to how to tie my shoot i'll take senile lone star any day though at this point who has a magically disappearing cane (laughs) right and like like he's on a cane in the beginning of the movie and then the rest he's running to a fighter jet except for one part where like he's about to do his version of the speech in this movie which is so terrible his attempt at a speech is even way worse than the original and he puts down his cane dramatically like no i gotta put it down and stand up for america (laughs) it was very much a patriotic movie and you know, from the outside looking in, that just gets draining. Like, the first one had it, and it was there. But in the second one, and then, like, at the end where they're like, this this random alien wants to share its wealth with us, and we're going to go through the galaxy. And I'm like, no, no, that alien would be like, peace, you guys are stupid. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go find some other life form. I just, I was so disappointed with the script writing, the special effects. He's, like, I felt like it was a video game at points, and I don't even play a lot of video games, and I felt like it was a video game. I know you guys don't give scores, but someone asked me what I would give it, and I said zero out of ten. And I've never given a movie zero out of 10 before. I just could not find one redeeming thing. And I'm like Thomas, like I'm super nice, but this was just a cash grab. Yeah, but you're 100% right. It plays to, and I, God, I don't want to get political on here for God's sakes, but it plays to like the mag, the sort of MAGA sort of group of people where it's like, America's the greatest, hell yeah. Shoot them all, ask questions later. (laughs) (laughs) You got any problems, you call Jeff Goldblum. And you know what? I didn't mind Jeff Goldblum. I'll be honest, he was probably the most palatable to me, and that's not saying much, because as I said, I gave the movie a very, very low rating. Um, But let me tell you, it made the other movies shoot up in my books, so I'm going to have a lot of nice things to say about that, because this was just so dreadful. Don't watch it. No, don't watch it, definitely. It's one of the <laughs> hardest attempts for me to like rewatch for a show because I saw this in the theater because I was able to for free at the time. So sorry, Thomas. I was I, I didn't lose any money, but I lost my dignity. Uh, but you lost my valuable you hours. Lost fucking, life, when it feels like four hours. <laughs> it feels like four hours of time. I will say though, amongst all the cast members, I, I think Jeff Goldblum is on sleep mode. Even like Micah Monroe, who right before this had done uh, it follows. Yeah. And she's tremendous in that. I think she's a very talented young actress. That Skype conversation she has with Liam Hemsworth, like, oh, please come back in one piece. I know, buddy. I'll make sure to come back. (laughs) I have a look at the houses. That's okay. You got plenty of time. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, dude. The one who I think is actually at least trying, I think just because he knew, like, oh, this is the last time I might be in a big movie for a while, is Brent Spiner, who reprises his role as the scientist from the original movie. I don't think he's necessarily good, but at least has, like, energy. No one else has he's energy. Happy. He's just happy to be working. I think he was just happy to be there. He's just, I, I, can, I'm right. not, I don't have to be at a convention this month? Great. <laughs> yes, I think that's it. Absolutely. No. Yeah, but I, I think and I had so much issue, especially this time, with the very, very light um, attempt at a homoerotic relationship between him and his buddy. Because they keep calling each other babe, and that's it. Like, there's no kiss, there's that... Right, and it makes it feel unnecessary. Like, I have no problem with it being a homosexual character, but for what? There's no stakes to their relationship at all. And I didn't need to see his dirty old flat ass crack. 
through a pair of Hanes. Like, okay, I'm good. But no, but they, I agree with you. There's no stakes to them being gay. Like, I have no problem with homosexual characters. I have no problem with making any character homosexual. But Or, or even making it casual, which I wouldn't casual. mind either. Right. But at I the mean, same time, right. like, it feels just like they say babe to each other, and then they have the big emotional speech that doesn't feel earned at all. At, at all. The end of it. No. I agree. At all. And that's how they did re- homosexual relationships in the 90s. It was like, oh, they're kind of gay, but we don't want to say they're gay because we're not already okay with it yet. It was like they went back to 1996 and they're like, we'll just portray the relationship like this in 2016. It was yeah. outdated how it was portrayed. It feels like the script was taken out of a drawer from like 1999 yeah. when they originally wrote it, <laughs> <Yeah>. probably. <laughs> and they went... <laughs> 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 probably fucking was. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's yeah. probably bits of a script they wrote right away. Right, it's one of those that also has five different writers. Like, along with Devlin and Emmerich, it's like three other guys. So it definitely feels like it's a Frankenstein monster thing. And even with, like, the special effects, to go back to that, like, the original, what I like is that it's a mix of practical and CG, like, very modern CG at the time, but even, like, models, like, all that destruction was mostly models mm-hmm. that were actually, like, shot in slow motion and stuff, which is, I think, still tremendous. And here, it's just, like, they, they make this classic sequel problem of, we won't develop, like, the designs or the characters, but we'll make everything bigger. Just literally, like, X2 <laughs> everything. <laughs> and it feels so lazy because of that. I think... They mistook what society is like now compared to what it was in 1996. I don't think they looked at the political atmosphere. I don't think they looked at the cultural atmosphere. And things have changed. And like, just like Eddie Murphy could not deliver raw or delirious right now, this whole concept should have been updated to reflect. And all they did was be like, hey, we have space technology now. We have spaceships. Like, that's really... <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, that's kind of a cool idea, that, like, we took the remaining technology and kind of, like, evolved yeah. our Earth with it, but they just kind of introduced that and never do anything with it. There's a lot of that, too. Cool ideas just not drawn out or actually developed at all. It was like um, a 10-year-old was like, here's some really cool ideas, but there wasn't somebody to put it together to make sense. It's an outline more than it is, like, a script. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm so tired and, 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 and just sick of the hive mind mentality when it comes to aliens or other creatures where if you take one out, it'll stop them all. Where does that exist anywhere? Mm-hmm. And yet we're doing it constantly in movies. I mean, from the Avengers to, you know, the fucking Borg to this. To, I mean, it's just nonstop. It's such a cheap and easy plot device. Oh, if we kill the leader, they all die. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like, all right. It's so dumb and lazy. And every single like weird plot called the sack of this movie is so weird. Like especially the Judd Hirsch subplot, where like he gets fucking like a- abandoned after like the huge tidal wave, and then like a group of kids just like, oh, our parents are dead. Here's old man Judd Hirsch to help us along. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> Let's all get onto a school bus later, and he'll be driving the school. Oh my god! So dumb. Yeah, it was it was painful. And you know what's funny? What Adam was saying about the um, hive mentality, and I think they're trying to take that off of the idea of like honeybees. You take the queen. Actually, that's not a thing. If you kill the queen, the honeybees will relocate to another hive. Like that's <laughs> so they didn't. If they're trying to even steal that that concept from there, and it's and it's so true. Like we have this overall concept with the exception of some films that have come out recently. Because if you look at movies like The Quiet Place, um, for example, the aliens have taken over. It's only an Independence Day that we fight back. Like, we keep assuming we're more intelligent, we're better. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think if aliens came here, we'd be in a shitload of trouble. Like, I really do. Like, I I don't think we would have... Well, we would never be able to unite as one to fight them. I mean, that would be our biggest downfall. There'd be no way. 
it's it, this long drawn out fuck fest of a movie is it took me I, li- I shit you not because I had to keep pausing it to get up to move around and do stuff. <laughs> it took about five hours for me to watch this fucking thing today, wow. today. And if you were to ask me to quote one line from it, not going to be able to do it. I literally midway through this movie stopped and was just like, let me watch some extras on the DVD I have for the other movie <laughs> so I can be well versed <laughs> on that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame <laughs> you at all. I, I, I just, it's, it's so bad. Look, even if it failed, but you could tell they gave it a genuine effort. Like, all right, let's really update it. Let's go for this. Let's make it work. Let's get a cast of young actors. That way we can maybe build a franchise around them. We can do something new. You didn't feel any of that. This, this is like Heather alluded to a complete cash grab of a movie. And it's so lazily written and lazily done. To where they literally just put out the bare bones of every sci-fi action movie that's come out since the original. They're like, this is the new one. Deal with it. Well, especially with like, uh, I know you hate this term of legacy sequel, Adam. <laughs> oh, but I mean, it's a thing where it's just like, hey, we're going to do a sequel so many years later. And we're going to have some old characters come back but introduce new ones. And kind of like mm-hmm. pass the torch kind of thing. I mean, I would argue amongst around this time, you had like a Force Awakens, which I have issues with that movie, but I think it at least does a much better job of like passing that torch. On Blade Runner twenty forty nine, yeah, tremendous example. They bring back, you know, obviously Harrison Ford, but also kind of bring back Sean Young, but it works perfectly. This is just it stops dead in its tracks. It like it doesn't even get a mile down the road before it dies. I mean, even something like Jurassic World, which I have problems with. At least feels like, okay, there's a few moments where I can see why this was a massive hit versus this. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's at least some connectedness to the, you know, um, action scenes and other stuff like that. Heather, what do you look for when you see, like, a legacy sequel? It's like, oh, it's been a while. Um, what do you really want to get? And what do you think this movie fails at doing in that way? It needs to be current to culture. What Jurassic World was successful with was marketing on the fact that they made it into a marine park. They showed the dinosaurs doing you know, the sea world shit in the final fight scene, you see Pandora and shit like that in the background. That's smart because people who are going to see those movies and enjoy them are your basic theater gore, right? You're not going to have someone of our high artsy. That's really going to go in there and be like, Oh man, Jurassic world. This is the bomb. <laughs> it's a, it's a really highfalutin podcast. When you are doing a sequel years in advance, like Blade Runner is an excellent example. I do prefer the original. But the sequel was so well done because it made it relatable to now, how it was filmed, the dialogue. You know, it wasn't trying to recreate the 80s. It was here we are today. And that was the problem with Independence Day Resurgence is that it used an outdated script, outdated concepts, and they were trying to connect with the same audience in 1996. The world is not the same. We have, right, technology and culture has developed so much. Mm -hmm. And and we and it hasn't moved to catch up to it. I do want to say that um, I, I think a big part of that also is just having Emmerich come back and Dean Devlin. I think it's just they're they're so out of touch, especially at this point. Roland Emmerich had moved on to doing like that weird anonymous movie, the Shakespeare conspiracy theory movie, <laughs> and other oh, shit like oh, that. Oh yeah, that, I know that's him. It's weird, but he he'd like moved on. It seemed at least from the disaster movies, but it feels like oh those aren't doing well. These new experiments I'm doing, so I'm going to go back to the well in a really shameless way. And it just doesn't work. Even Dean Devlin after this still did like Geostorm. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's what they did. And I think the the saddest punctuation point of this movie is um, Robert Loja coming back. 
Oh, yeah. Because Robert Louis is one of my favorite character actors ever. He's in the original Independence Day. He's fun in it. And then here, this is like one of his posthumous performances. Like, it was released like a few months after he died. And how sad it is just like him rising up and then sitting down. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Why, why'd you drag him out to do this? Yeah. It's so yeah. sad. <laughs> but on that fun, enlightening note, um, let's go ahead and do our final thoughts here. Uh, Heather, go first. Your final thoughts on Independence Day Resurgence. Don't watch it. I would recommend watching anything else. If you really liked the first Independence Day for whatever reason, rewatch that again. I enjoyed Jurassic World a lot more because it's cheesy and it knows it's cheesy and at least it spoke to a the current cultural audience. You know, I hope everyone made some money off of it that needed some money. You're very happy Brent Spiner got that money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about where I, I draw the line and I will never watch it again. Okay, Adam, your final thoughts. Clearly, out of the five writers, Emmerich and Devlin were in charge. They were so beholden to their original movie and the script that they did not allow any sort of advancement or any sort of new ideas to come in. They they wanted it to be basically a carbon copy of the first one, and it fails on every level. Once you take out the infinitely charismatic Will Smith and replace him with just a stick in the mud and expect him to be sort of the same as far as gravitas and character, you're, you're fucked. I mean, you're screwed. And, and this is just a shit fest dumpster fire of a movie. It's incredibly boring. Uh, it's a chore to get through even through the first hour. It's a fucking slog fest. And, uh, I'm just, I'm very, very glad that it failed financially. And, I'm glad this one didn't, so we didn't get stuck with the fucking sequel. Especially, we didn't talk about it, but this movie sets it up so badly. (laughs) Oh my god, the ending? (laughs) I was like, no, there's not going to be more, is there? (laughs) No, it's fine, Heather. The the bad men are done. (laughs) Not Freddy Krueger. It's the fear of more Independence Day movies. And I mean, I agree with both of your thoughts, so I'm going to actually steal my final thoughts from Academy Award winner Susan Sarandon who was offered the role of the president in this movie, the fucking lackluster Cecil Ward role of just the president who gets killed at some point. Um, she said when she read the script, quote, When I read the script, I couldn't understand what was going on. I just couldn't understand it. Seriously, a lot of people from the original one were not going to do it, and I read it and I just thought, no, I can't. I just can't. And she added, but seriously, I read that and I didn't have the faintest idea. It's not so great, actually. It's just not interesting. <laughs> so Susan, you put it better than I could. Uh, yep, f- phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal work there. You summed it up perfectly. And uh, yeah, so let's forget this movie ever happened, and uh, we'll move on to our next film. But first, here's an ad for an ESO show. You can queue up right after ours. Hi, I'm Joe Heath, and I'm Tony Heath, and we've been watching Doctor Who for five years. So that makes us experts, probably. I once heard a guy say that he listened to a four-hour podcast by an expert, which made him an expert. So we're experts, definitely experts. And you can be an expert, too. All you have to do is listen to... The Watchathon of Rassilon. It's a podcast. That we make. Together. Sometimes with friends. Listen to it. Or else. The Watchathon of Rassilon. A proud member of the ESO Network. All right, now let's talk about our second feature, our good pick, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. We told you the rules. All the rules. But you didn't listen. (laughs) Now, they're back. Wilder. We're advising our clients to put everything they've got into canned food and shotguns. Tougher. 
and scarier. If these things get out of the building, then that is it for New York. They say this is the city that never sleeps. Now, it has a reason. Gremlins 2, the new batch. Check it out one time, won't you? So, uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch, came out June 15th, 1990. That's six years after the original movie, Gremlins, which... As we did last time, we should definitely talk about our thoughts on the original film Gremlins, came out in 1984. Trivia came out the same week as Ghostbusters that summer, in June. Which is baffling that it did, like, as well as it did. Which, Warner Bros. was even surprised. They didn't think it was going to do nearly as well as it did. Which is why the sequel eventually came to being. But, uh, Heather, are you a fan of the original Gremlins? I enjoy the first one. I thought that it was very clever. I love the puppetry in it. I think the story's cute. Uh, there's one really like I, my understanding was um, that it was actually supposed to be darker. So I went to a, uh, a filming of it at the Powell, the historical Powell, Powell Theater or whatever it was in uh, Howell Theater Theater in uh, Michigan. And there's a gentleman that spoke about it and said that it was actually supposed to be much darker than it was originally intended to be, uh, which explains one of the stories that is in it when um, I can't remember the main character's name, but um, the lead female, her father died in the fire chimney trying to be santa claus so that kind of explained <laughs> why they kept that in there right i was like where did this come from um i had forgot about that from the first time i had seen it so i did see it rather recently i like it i think it's a really great movie it's definitely one that i would watch at christmas not necessarily in june um but gizmo's adorable and the special effects were great i thought and the movie keeps your interest especially for kids or adults it keeps your interest there's enough for everybody yeah, I, I would definitely agree. And uh, a big thing, well, you mentioned that, that script, it was originally written by Chris Columbus, later of Home Alone fame, and that was like his first thing out of doing like oh. uh, college. He was just like, he wrote the spec script that was like, had like the mom gets decapitated in the original script and a bunch of other horrible Yeah, things. Yeah, it's supposed to be really dark. Right, and Steven Spielberg was just like, nope, gonna get rid of <laughs> most of that. You can keep your story about the <laughs> dad dying, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but Adam, uh, I know you're a pretty big fan of the original, right? No, not at all. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites. It's one of the ones that sort of introduced me to horror as a kid. It, there was several movies that my one of my aunts really loved, and one of them was Gremlins. The other one was The Lost Boys. And yeah, it's, it's one of those that I saw at a very early age, and I was just blown away, but a by the practical effects. I mean, they're they're fucking fantastic, and all the, how all the gremlins had different personalities, and uh, I loved Phoebe Cates. I had a huge crush on her. You know, young Corey Feldman was always good, and uh, there's just so much to it that it just works. I mean, his dad. You know, let me tell you about the bathroom buddy. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, you, know, you reach yeah. up. I forgot to shave. <laughs> you know that type of shit. It, it was just great. I don't know if I watch it every Christmas, but it's pretty close. Like, I absolutely love Gremlins, yeah. Yeah, and I'm in a very similar boat. Joe Dante, in general, was a big reason I got into horror when I was younger. Then I found him through like, Steven Spielberg and the John Landis movies that my dad would show me a lot, like Gremlins. Gremlins was one of those, and it terrified me when I was younger. And I've grown to just really appreciate the sort of horror comedy mix. And, uh, you know, so it's a beloved movie, obviously, especially at the time. And so Warner Brothers was very keen on doing a sequel for a while. Like, they went to Dante originally, like, right after the movie, like, we need a sequel. And he's like, that was so complicated to do, I don't want to do it again. And then they had six years of development, just like, oh, well, they'll go to Las Vegas, they'll go to Mars, or whatever. And nothing cracked. And it was just like, okay, Joe, we want to get this done. I think you might be the only person to do it. So we'll let you have total creative control. And we'll give you a $50 million budget. 
which is three times what you had for the original movie. So, he was given a blank check to do whatever he wanted. And I think, inarguably, he did that. On a grand scale. Just, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. Um, which, you know, turned off some people at the time. Didn't make as much nearly. It was a $42 million box office grocer. That so failed at that time. Really negated any chance of a Gremlins 3. Uh, <laughs> happening for at least a while. Um, and so... Heather, what about your thoughts on the sequel? What do you think of Gremlins 2? Well, up to seeing Independence Day Resurgence, I didn't care for it as much as I did the first one. So I didn't see Gremlins 2 till recently. I watched it back to back, and I watched it with a good friend of ours who worships the ground this movie walks on. So that could have been, and I've, and I've heard a lot of it a lot, so I'm not sure if that's what got to me. But I watched it for this podcast, and I'm certainly glad I did, because when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I was wrong. What I missed the first time around, and I think that's because I might have had, you know, maybe one or two drinks when I watched it the first time. Um, but the political humor that's in it, really, I really liked it, and the societal humor. There's one line that really stood out to me, and they ask the intellectual gremlin, what do you want? And he says, oh, to be in a civilized society, you know, to be like you guys, you know, you get turned down for credit one place and you just go to another place and they give you credit. And I thought that that was really clever, especially for when that film came out. And then there was other stuff that would happen throughout the movie and just some lines that they did or just some characters that they had or the comments they had on society or, you know, the call into Rambo and some other stuff. Like I realized I'm like, they're making fun of themselves with this movie. I love anything that picks on society and the way that we run our lives. So this movie went from being a very low rating for me for a very high rating for me on the second watch. I am ecstatic to hear about that as we'll get into with the rest of our discussion and what about you adam you, you are you a fan of gremlins too yeah fuck are we talking about here of course i am I, <laughs> it's a fucking looney tunes cartoon you know filmed it, it really truly is it's a cartoon it's a wild wacky ride of a movie there's never not anything going on on screen there's never not anything to look at it's like if a fucking kid you got a sugar rush and made a movie like, it, it's fucking just insane bananas. And it's so different in tone in a way to the original. But it, the, it all this, really, all they did, they took the comedic elements of the gremlins, you know, the flasher gremlin, and, you know, the one with the puppets and all that. And they just amped that up to 11. And it totally works. And, and, and I, I absolutely love gremlins, too. I, I, do I, I don't like it as much as the first. Like, I thought I liked it more. But revisiting both of them no i i do prefer the first but i do really really like gremlins too to me it's one of the better sequels for sure especially in the the horror genre or a genre film if you want to call it horror i don't know that you can call gremlins too horror the, the best way to describe it is gremlins is a horror comedy gremlins 2 is a comedy horror yeah yeah that's pretty accurate i, I i'll go with that uh but no i absolutely just fell in love with gremlins too as a kid, I loved like you know the spider gremlin, the the bat gremlin, the all the where they all get into the different chemicals and turn into different things. The vegetable gremlin, like what the fuck, you know, it's just such goofy shit. But it, I mean, it just all works for me. It all lands. Um, I remember not liking it as much originally when I was a kid. I was kind of in a similar boat where like I I was just like I like this movie, but I don't like it as much as the original one. And with each passing, like year i love it more and more to the point where i kind of do slightly prefer it over the original sacrilege um but I, I i think it's just like such daring studio movie like there's no other 
studio would have ever let this happen. Like, at all. Like, this this is a movie that could not exist today because no one would give a guy like Joe Dante, who, like, loves cartoons and old movies and all this other stuff, free reign to do whatever he wanted, to the point where I kind of consider this, especially upon this watch, to be basically, like, the airplane of Amblin movies. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good way to describe it, actually. I'm really glad I gave this a second watch. I don't usually do second watches. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I was on this show because it changed my opinion of this movie completely. Yeah, because it just feels like, because I grew up with those Amblin movies. We all kind of did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, like your E.T.'s, your Harry and the yep. Hendersons, who framed Roger Rabbit. And it feels yep. like after this movie, it's like, oh, we can never do that again in the best way. It's just like yeah, really. I, well, it, it made sense for that time, right? Everything has its time. Mm-hmm. You know, we couldn't go back to silent films. Right? right? Like, they wouldn't have the same kind of appreciation. But what I really respect about this movie is the little things they do to make fun of things. So, there's one scene where Gremlin turns into, like, a bat. And it's attacking them on the streets in New York. And nobody's paying attention. Yep. Like, they're all walking <laughs> by. And I'm like, what a subtle adult piece of humor that got put in here. That I didn't pick up on the first time I watched this. But the second time around, I'm like, that's funny. Like, this director is being funny. Like, they're being funny with this. And it gave me a whole new appreciation for how that movie was made. Because they do have the cartoonish part of it. But they were really smart and they made fun of themselves. Even when she's retelling her story and they're like, okay, we don't have time for this. Lincoln, like, whatever, Lincoln Holiday or whatever it was. You know, like... That's what you do with a sequel that you know that – and I almost thought, did he not want to make this or was he just kind of trying to be silly with how the story's developed? And I just thought that was really, really cool and clever and my respect for Joe Dante went up huge because I, I think it takes someone of a really high intellect to look at something like that and go, how can we make fun of ourselves in a way that's playful and that's going to get the audience engaged? Though I am sad to see that it didn't make that much money. Well, I think it's just because a major thing is that Dante was clearly like didn't want to do a sequel – and mm-hmm. so he was given this free reign, and it's like, look, we could do what any stupid sequel does and just kind of repeat the original movie and just make it bigger, like Independence Day. And this yep. one's like, well, we'll do it bigger, but we'll also completely satirize our own original movie, like with the bit where they're making fun of the rules in the control booth, which is hilarious. Yep. And yep. that one guy gets attacked immediately by a gremlin. Um, and just other stuff, like, I, I love a lot of the satirical stuff about the clamp building where this takes place. Like, the audio stuff, like, especially when the fire alarm goes off. And yeah. he's just like, uh, fire, the untamed element. This building yeah. is on fire. <laughs> it was so funny. And the cheesiness, like, it was making fun of people, too, right? Like, and besides the fact of the puppeteering, right? Like, there is some amazing puppeteering that's done here. And, like, I don't even know how they do that. Like, it always blows my mind when I see, like, practical effects like that. Because I'm such a simpleton that I'm like, how does that happen? Like, it just totally <laughs> is always impressive to me. There's another sequel for a very popular horror movie that completely, to me, uh, is in line and in tone with this one. And that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, where they're like, you know, just do whatever you want. And uh, Toby Hooper just made a comedy, basically. Graphically violent and silly and everything, but still just crazy movie. And I, I think that's obviously what Dante did here. I understand why it's sort of maybe maligned by fans of the original because it is so different in tone, but I think you kind of got to go into it and be able to sort of separate the two. I know that's hard to do because it's a lot of, you know, most of the same characters are back. In fact, I think pretty much all of the same cast is back, uh, but it's so different and, and it's, 
it's really fucking funny too. Like, it's really funny. There's a lot of different layers of comedy in this movie. There's slapstick comedy. There's subtle comedy. There's, you know, sort of in-between jokes. There's subtle jabs at politics and the media and corporation and everything all over the place. Anytime I watch this, still to this day, I pick up on something else I didn't see as far as a joke or a sight gag. Or, or something like that. And I just think that's why this one sort of stands a little bit above the rest as far as uh, fucking goddamn it, Thomas legacy sequels. Uh, you know, personally, I, I, cause it is honoring the original, but it's also going in a new direction. I mean, I would argue it's not quite a legacy sequel cause that would involve like a lot more time. And then also you fucking like, said it first, you well, piece no, of shit. I, I think there's a distinct difference between like a resurgence and this, where like this is trying to actually be a sequel to some extent. And I do agree that I think like Phoebe Cates and Zach Allegan clearly know it's like we're not really the stars of this movie. We're kind of just like the people that move the plot along through the gags, which I th- yeah. they, they admire that at least. I think it seems like they're game to do that because uh, they have to make room for like so many great supporting gag characters. Like Robert Prosky as Grandpa Fred, I love. It's just, mm-hmm. like, this horror host guy who wants to be an anchor, wants to be Walter Cronkite, and he's in the fucking vampire suit the whole time, even when things are getting bad and he's trying to report yeah. on it. Or yeah. um, Christopher Lee. This is my introduction to Christopher Lee as a kid, and he's so funny. I don't think he's ever been funnier in a movie, honestly. Just, like, rabies. They already have rabies. <laughs> and puts it away and stuff like that. Who would you say is your favorite of, sort of, like, those comedic side characters, Heather? Um, I think Christopher Lee. I thought he was really funny. I really enjoyed him. And the two other, like, the one scene that I thought was really cheesy and I probably have more love for now is when Gizmo starts dancing to the beach song, the surfing song or whatever it is. And he's doing the, like, he comes out. Of, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's... Okay. Like, I'm, I'm trying to act it out, but no one can see me. <laughs> just so everyone knows, listeners, I'm acting it out as we talk right now. She, it, it, she's a dead ringer for Gizmo, just dancing here. She... <laughs> Um, but what, apparently that was going to be cheesier because they were going to do with the Dancing with Myself by Billy Idol, and they couldn't get oh the rights God. to it. I know. And what, what weirdly, that Fats Domino song they play is like the same exact beat structure of that song. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Gizmo. Like whoever puppeteered him and the expressions, and I want to meet the person that created the puppets and stuff for this because yet again, I I sound like a simpleton, but oh my God, I it just blows my mind. It blows my mind. Well, especially because this time they, they graduated from the original guy, Chris Wayless, was too busy directing The Fly 2, who did the first movie. And I know, yeah, <laughs> The Fly 2. Oh, um, good. That's a step down. <laughs> but, but, and, but, and who stepped in but Rick Baker, one of the greatest, like, makeup designers ever from, like, you know, American Wolf in London and all this other stuff. And he definitely took advantage of, like, oh, we're going to do so many weird different things with this. And I personally like the designs of the Gremlins here a bit more. I like that the, they're a bit more diverse, not just with, like, the, you know, mutations, but even, like, going brown and green, and even, like, the facial designs look a bit different. You can tell they took advantage of just, like, we're gonna make all of these guys look so distinct and have even more personality, I'd argue, than any of the other Gremlins in the original movie. Even, like, the Stripe character, I think, is an improvement, the Mohawk guy. Um, yeah. With just how much he tortures Gizmo is so fucking funny. It's The bullying, <laughs> it's hurtful. I had a hard time getting through those scenes. Like, I'm such a softie. I'm like, Gizmo. I felt <laughs> so bad for him. 
Oh, but he gets his at least. The, that yes. rainbow bit, yeah. I know, um, right? My little, my heart healed, but it was very emotional for me watching that. <laughs> over, a, I love the fact that Gizmo becomes so corrupted with this movie, where it's like, oh, yeah. I'm so cute and innocent. By the end of it, it's just like, I'm a hardened killer. Right. The, line, the line of, he, I guess he just snapped. Like, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. funny. As Adam said, the comedy here is all over the place, and that's smart. I absolutely love John Glover in this movie, too. Yes. He's just, he almost steals the movie for me every time. Right, and he plays Clamp, who's sort of like a combination mm-hmm. of, like, uh, uh, Ted Turner and mm-hmm. somebody we probably don't want to mention. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I think it's, I, I like the fact it leans more into Ted Turner in terms of just, like, he feels like he's has the best intentions, but he's insane and an idiot. So he doesn't know quite how to do it at all. Um, and he has, I agree, such a great delivery. Just like, look at that drawer. I didn't know they could do that. And all this other stuff. <laughs> so funny. There's a great deleted scene where, to speak to the Ted Turner thing, they um, a bit from It's a Wonderful Life pops up. And he looks at it almost like the Grinch. Just like, oh, oh my God. And then he pushes a button it becomes colorized. And he smiles. Just a big, beaming smile. Uh, that's the thing. This movie just feels like it's so incisive about, like, especially all that corporate synergy satire with like him. Or I love the Marla character played by Evelyn Morris. She is such yeah. like a funny sort of like sex pot spoof of a character mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. so. Dr- especially they go to that fucking Canadian restaurant. There's chocolate mousse. That's so. I know. <laughs> so when I first watched this with somebody that we know, they asked me if that actually existed in Canada. I'm not kidding. It doesn't. Just so we're clear. Look. look. <laughs> Heather, we want our antlers, okay? We want an antler of that chocolate mousse. I'm, I'm sorry. At this point, I maybe you know, once the shops open in Niagara Falls, the super tourist area, I may be able to get you guys some. And the female gremlin, talk about New York, huh? Like New York's known for its Broadway, on and off Broadway. Like yet again, a nice little like cut to in the movie. Oh yeah, I, I love that musical number, and we should give credit also. Tony Randall is the voice of the Brain Gremlin, which is such a genius invention for this movie. Of like, oh, we're gonna have one talk, and as you mentioned, you, like I love the bit, which is like, oh, the, the civilization is what we want. We want you know what you have, uh, Susan Sontag, and <laughs> all that other shit. It's so funny, and it gets, it's one of those great jokes that gets better as you get older, and you get like the, my favorite bit. Probably he says is this bit where it's just like, well, we'll have to you know, there's the Broadway shows, we'll have to get tickets. There's street crime, but we can watch that for free. Right, <laughs> that's really funny like that yeah. that stuff is really and it, also during that time we know what the crime was like in new york city like new york city is i i've been to new york but i went um you know post september 11th and the city mm-hmm. was very clean like i went to battery park and there was a attendant in the washroom so like it was you know and there was police everywhere everything was very clean but at one time new york was quite dangerous so like that you know, it was a good play at the time. And that's how you do a movie well. You look at your audience at the time. And even for those of us who remember that or kids watching it now, there's comedy for everybody. And that's so smart. Disney does that now with their movies. You know, they they throw in the adult humor as well as the kid humor to make everybody okay. And Gremlins too, I feel like, was doing that before it was cool. Like, they understood that formula. That's the big thing I want to say is I think despite this not being as successful at the time, I would argue it's so influential on so much comedy that's come since. Like a big thing is this is an animal movie produced by Steven Spielberg. Not too long after this, you get his attempts at like, oh, you know what? Looney Tunes stuff is funny. Let's do Tiny Tunes and Animaniacs and all that other stuff. And that in turn influences a lot of people like one of my favorite sort of filmmakers working today. It's a duo of uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. We do like the Lego movie and the yeah, 21 Jump sure. Street movies. They, their DNA is so hard in this movie. 
You can tell yeah. so much like, oh, we're going to spoof every single possible thing and have as many gags as possible in a movie. You would not have some of those great recent comedies at all without the influence of this movie, I think. Absolutely. I think this movie has a real spot in pop culture that hasn't been acknowledged. And that's a shame. It's finally remembered among sort of... I don't want to go... I don't know. I guess you could kind of call this a cult film. Yeah. It's definitely taken on its its life and its fans now uh, more than it had. Uh, but there are still a lot of fans for it out there. It is still very, very appreciated. I think if this got a proper... Because I don't think it has one, but like, but like a proper Arrow video or a proper Screen Factory release, I think that would do wonders for it as far as its reputation. It's only I grown just think in the last 30 years, yeah. Yeah, I, I also I think it needs is just one more big push into the mainstream where people can discover it maybe for the first time or give it a second chance since they saw it you know, when it came out. And I, I think it would really sort of push it up into the maybe higher echelon a little bit more. Yeah, also a shout-out. My favorite sort of supporting person is uh, Robert Picardo, which this is the movie that made me a fan of that dude. Yep. Because he is so precise. Peltzer, every time he does, He's like, he's the supreme version of, like, the Judge Reinhold character in the original movie. Because he is such a prick. Every single time. He just comes around. And, of course, his weird romance with the, the female gremlin. Which yeah. I, I just think, it's so tremendous. Even that ending, his fucking face when he's just going down, like, you know, just he slides down. It's such a perfect way of ending that movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Clever. So clever. Um, and I guess there's also a lot of cameos we should mention. I think my favorite is, uh, I think, an underrated one, Kathleen Freeman, who you would recognize as the nun from Blues Brothers, who plays the um, microwave Marge. Where yeah. She has yeah. so many great witty bits. Like, I love the thing. It's like, some people use a bit of sherry. I use a lot. <laughs> uh, and it, it's and especially when um like things are going crazy and the gremlins are going and she's just like stay here and die and then she just runs. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, what's everyone's favorite cameo, uh, Heather? What's your favorite cameo in the movie? Um, you know what? I didn't. I don't think I know enough of the actors to say which my favorite cameo was. I'll be honest. Um, I think the one you mentioned uh, that. I related to. I like to drink too. So you know, like it, <laughs> it was like my spirit animal. Probably the same one you're referring as well. What about Adam? What? Who's your favorite cameo? You? When I was a kid, it was Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah, I forgot about the Hulkster. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, no, man, yeah. a little problem, a little problematic. Uh, I mean, it's still very <laughs> funny with the yeah. idea of it and what they do. But I mean, probably Christopher Lee. I count that as a cameo. He's only in it for, like, five minutes. Mm-hmm. So probably Christopher Lee. Yeah. Or the I mean, two it's... twin fucks from fucking uh, Terminator 2. That's true. Yeah, they're great. Like, how's the cloning going, Doctor? Well, very well. <laughs> the two of them. Um, or I um, I personally really love uh, the part of that theater scene, which I think, aside from Hulk Hogan, that's such a perfect idea of breaking the theater chain for all that. I love Paul Bartell. He's one of my favorite sort of like cult actors who plays yeah. the theater manager. Just um, like the mom comes in. She's like, I can't believe you'd show this. Ma'am, we just present the films here. We don't make them. <laughs> I do love that line. We know it's not as good as the first. Like that was pretty <laughs> funny. It was very funny. Yeah. Or Julia Sweeney pops up in this movie as the receptionist from Saturday Night Live. Or there, there's just so many people pop up um, in here and it's it's so tremendous. Or even like, you know, it's a supporting role, but I love Dick Miller in this too and how he kind of like actually gets a solid like conclusion to his arc of like getting mm-hmm. over the gremlins. I think it's such a great bit. 
Um, and then, of course, the various different, like, mutation designs. So many great ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're fucking phenomenal, dude. Yeah, like, we, we talked about Brain Gremlin, or the Vegetable Gremlin, or Phantom of the Opera Gremlin. It's such a stupid fucking joke. Oh, the Phantom so of the stupid, Opera. stupid, but it's awesome. But, but it makes sense for New York City, right? What is one of the longest-running Broadway productions? It is Phantom of the Opera. Um, and it's a yeah. very popular one, so it makes sense. You know, you're playing again to the audience. Like, that's what was so good with this movie. It played into pop culture, and it still stands up today. You can watch it in 2020 and still have a good time with it. Yeah, I think for for sure on that. And I mean, and even such, like, I love the idea of introducing the electric gremlin and then actually having it pay off. It's the one joke that actually makes sense to the plot. And it's such a creative way of killing them. And another great special effects thing, when they turn to goop, it's, like, genuinely kind of terrifying for, like, especially when I'm younger. Like, the way the brain gremlin gets melted is, like, so goopy and so terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And really, like, man, those special effects are good. Yeah. It's, it's a really great movie. Um, and, you know, there have been several threats to continue Gremlins after this in recent years that I'm not a fan of necessarily. Like, oh, we'll do a legacy sequel thing and we'll bring back Zack, but it's going to be about your kids, Zack. Clearly, that's what we're going to do. And I just feel like, or they're doing that, like, weird Mogwai show on Yeah, HBO the Max, cartoon. Yeah, a cartoon. Which I don't know, because I love the fact, Joe Dante even says this in the commentary, just like, I purposely made Gremlins 2 and designed it to where you could never do a Gremlins 3, which I completely agree with. I don't think there's any way you can follow up this movie with, like, a super traditional sequel. That would be so lame. I think a cartoon would be appropriate, though. I think if you're going to do a cartoon, it's geared towards children, because that's bringing up the next horror generation. And they watch the Gremlins movies and that gets them into horror. I'm all down for that. But I agree a sequel would be unnecessary. But I'm totally down with cartoon shows and bringing something back to get a new generation interested in that franchise. Yeah, but gun to my head, I prefer the cartoon. <laughs> Between the two options. Right? I agree. I'm just worried it's going to go. I mean... Because you could get really fucking stupid with a cartoon version of this. But if it's for kids, who cares? Like, the kids are watching it. I do not care. Well, you know what, Adam? You don't have to watch it. When your child goes I have a kid. You can walk out of the room. But it's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Like, there's so many different versions of that cartoon in the movie that it's just... <laughs> All I'm trying to say is that it's not bad to bring something back for a younger generation and gear it towards them to get them to go back and enjoy the classics. I don't think you should make a sequel, but I think anything we can do to bring attention to the franchise or the movies, I guess it's not really a franchise because there's two, but it's always a good thing. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I, the, what, I, what I meant was they run – you risk the idea of – maybe some of the gremlins in Gizmo being friends or making some of them nice or make some of that. And then if you do that and a kid then watches the original, it's going to fuck them up. Well, life the world to, in general is pretty fucked up. So yeah, <laughs> have to honor the original, even in the cartoon form, you still have to honor the original. You can G it up, like make it, you know, really take out the violence, make it clearly, but you still have to have the definitive, to me ideas and characteristics of if you're going to use those main characters. Now, if they're going completely off the wall and making it not gizmo and a different Mogwai and all this other shit, then I don't, I don't care. Do what you gotta do. 
I agree that I don't necessarily mind, like, a gateway drug kind of thing for kids, but also it's just, like, what I like about these two movies is the fact that they're definitely aiming at a kid audience, but they're treating them with a bit more respect about, like, we can get a bit darker, we can, like, show some, like, especially, like, even gags you're not going to get until, like, you're about ten years older and stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff I love, and that's why I think it's such so influential on stuff that I was raised on, like Animaniacs or Tiny Toons, because it definitely shows just, like, Steven Spielberg wanted to have that kind of thing for a new generation, and arguably that kind of almost so led to, like, the Looney Tunes going out of fashion. Like, we even talk about this movie starts with the Looney Tunes bit. That's It's a <laughs> statement of purpose that I love about this movie. Just, like, here's a Chuck Jones a little bit to introduce, like, we're going crazy. Um, and, you know, it, arguably this kind of ended up leading to something as stupid as, like, Space Jam or other things that, like, kind of killed the Looney Tunes <laughs> to a certain I extent. I love Space Jam! That came out when I was, like, 11. That came out when I was younger, and I really loved it. Um, but I also liked Animaniacs and, and Tiny Toons, and I, I dug that stuff too. I, and I agree, though. Like, I think Looney Tunes is definitely something of an older generation. I don't, I don't know. Um, Adam, you have a child. Does your child watch Looney Tunes? She has. There are certain ones that, you know, because I remember them all. So there's certain ones I got to stop. Well, yeah, this is just too adult. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, she watches it. Uh, she, like me, fucking hates Space Jam. <laughs> oh. Like father, like daughter, right? Oh, it's the worst. It's garbage. But yes, Thomas, I do think you're right. This was a very influential. I don't know if it's as influential as you're saying as far as like influencing Space Jam and stuff. I'd argue that's probably who framed Roger Rabbit. Well, I mean, I, I would I was just saying, kind of saying there was a point where you, when you left that I said that it kind of feels like this is what inspired Spielberg to be like, oh, Looney Tunes stuff. Why don't I just like do that with like Tiny Tunes and all those others? I think it was a oh, gateway to like that yeah. opening up for especially that's what Amblin did after this point, pretty much is a lot of like those cartoonish things that do a much better mm-hmm. job of kind of carrying the torch than Space Jam. But to, to get back to Gremlins too, um, I I just think especially like. If more sequels did weird shit like this, we wouldn't, I think, be having the Independence Day resurgence conversations. <sighs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, we wouldn't be having these things of like, oh, it feels so similar and it feels like so soulless. This is a movie made with so much care and more importantly, just wild abandon and just does great. Even when they recall the original, like the Flasher joke, where they have the Flasher Gremlin pop mm-hmm. up again and Phoebe gets a chance to be like, fuck off, and then kicks him out. Like, they do such great callbacks that don't feel like they're too wink and nudgy. It just feels like we're going to address these things just because, like, it's a fun gag. But here's another different gag. Like, here's a stock market exchange gag that a kid wouldn't get. But it's so funny now. Like, oh, we've been uh, advised them to invest in canned food and shotguns. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's so mm-hmm. funny. It just it mm-hmm. feels like it's a movie that's really made for, like, anybody, like, 8 to 80 is going to get a different joke out of it. Absolutely. And uh-huh. it follows through generations that way. How smart is that? So stuff that you picked up as on a child and then you watch it as an adult, it's it, and you go back and you're like, oh, wait, I didn't see that. Like Adam was saying earlier, that is a smart movie. That's how you stay in culture. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree with myself. <laughs> Adam's so smart. <laughs> what would we do without Adam? What would Adam oh. do? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that darker territory, we should probably end the conversation on Gremlins 2 because there's so much we can still do. Let's do our final thoughts here. Heather, your final thoughts on Gremlins 2, the new batch. I was so pleased to be wrong, and I can admit when I'm wrong, as I said at the beginning. This film is excellent. I really enjoyed it. I will watch it again. And um, I, there's a lot of jokes I didn't pick up on before. So I would say to, you, to anyone, if you're like me and the first time around, you didn't really enjoy it give it a second view because I think that you will 
find something, whether it be slapstick, whether it be political humor, cultural humor, cameos, whatever, there will be something that you will enjoy. Adam? I agree with a lot of that. I, I've always liked this movie. Um, I've grown to like it more as you know, time went on. One of the best sequels to a genre film ever made. So you know, it's my final thoughts on the show here, Double Edge, Double Bill. I can't wait to give them right now, right here as we're recording live. And what? Who's... Hey, Scott. Hey, Thomas. How's it going? I'm doing good. Uh, Scott Crawford of the Friday Nightmares podcast to uh, co-host with Heather, who is on this podcast and has, totally has every idea that you're here in person. Just a quick thing, Scott. What do you think of Gremlins 2? Oh, man. I freaking love Gremlins 2. It is a masterpiece in my eyes. Joe Dante's take on just turning the Gremlins into a full-blown Looney Tunes movie. Love it. The creature designs are absolutely incredible. Probably some of the best puppetry I've ever seen, especially with Mohawk the Spider Gremlin. Freaking fantastic and disturbing. I remember seeing this in theaters when I was a kid, and like one thing that will always stick with me is Gremlins interrupting the movie and Hulk Hogan getting up and yelling at the audience. I literally thought the movie had froze and was ruined at the time when I was in the theater. Cameo appearances by freaking... Everybody is just so surprising and incredible. Christopher Lee as the mad scientist. I mean, how can you just not love that? The DNA gene splicing with the gremlins. Brain gremlin is absolutely incredible and fun to listen to. And I mean, I will never get the whole New York, New York song from Frank Sinatra out of my head ever again because of that movie. Gremlins 2 is an absolute masterpiece. Scott, thank you for coming on and doing this random interruption that I'm sure my two co-hosts are totally hearing right now live as we're recording this. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. This was great. Yes, yes. Bye, Scott. <laughs> Later, Thomas. But yeah, so Gremlins 2, I think it was uh, maybe my sort of bias about this being so influential was I think this was very sort of like shape and molding for me as a young kid in terms of like, I didn't know a sequel could do these things when I was younger. Just like, wait, we're like acknowledging this is a movie and we're like literally invading a theater. Or if you watch the VHS version, they invade a John Wayne movie, which actually they shot a whole different thing. <laughs> That's really like I would recommend finding that if you can. It just does such a great job of like really sending up the original doesn't do any of the stuff, especially we didn't talk about it. But around this time, you got a lot of bad Gremlins ripoffs like Munchies, Ghoulies, all that crap. That like just shows you, oh, this is why we can't do a traditional Gremlin sequel. Yeah, I'd argue the only successful one is maybe Critters. Regardless, like you, you see what like a traditional Gremlin sequel would look like in those movies. So Joe Dante had seen all that stuff. It's just like, okay, I am given free reign in a way that few people are. I have a privileged position, and I'm going to use that to have a giant middle finger to everything that a studio stands for. <laughs> and about like we mentioned, like the politics or culture or pop culture, anything. It just is such a great thing where it's just like you, every time you watch this movie, you will see a new gag. That's the thing. It's like, you can watch the movie forever and find a new visual gag or a bit of audio. Like I love the bit in the men's room, just like, Hey buddy, welcome to the men's room. <laughs> just all this crazy little bits and pieces that you just keep discovering every time. That's what makes a great movie really. And especially, you know, as someone who grew up with a lot of those Amblin movies, I think it is the perfect send up of all of those. And it's the perfect just punctuation point on a whole era of movies that I grew up with, but you can make fun of even including the original Gremlins as this movie does so succinctly. But that's the end of our discussion of our two movies. And uh, we have some feedback to read because uh, we asked all of you out there like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite sequels that have this delay of sorts? And uh, we're going to read through here and then talk about the decisions a bit uh, here. So first, Shaquille Lambert, previous guest at Check Excellence on Twitter, says best 
Mad Max Fury Road, Blade Runner 2049, Rocky Balboa slash Creed, uh, Rambo 2008, uh, T2 Train Spotting, uh, Toy Story 3 and The Force Awakens, Worst Zoolander 2, <laughs> Indiana Jones 4, Prometheus, Independence Day 2, uh, Jurassic World isn't worse, but it's mediocre enough for a mention. Uh, James Rodriguez says uh, Mad Max Fury Road, Toy Story 3, and Blade Runner 2049 are masterful examples. Bad Boys for Life and Rocky Balboa were actually not too bad. Uh, Blair Witch and The Predator were not worth it. Independence Day Resurgence and Rambo Last Blood were disastrous. Uh, Scott Crawford, uh, who popped up earlier for some final thoughts suddenly, uh, this says... fucking guy. Yeah, we don't need to read his. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we can skip over Scott. I have to contractually do that. That's in my oh, double-edged, double-edged contract here. Take out any All of the right. racist stuff. <laughs> I edit this show, unlike Scott. His, his show. Um, I, I, I would say, uh, I would say good Mad Max Fury Road and Strangers Pray at Night, and bad would be Dumb and Dumber, or whatever it was called. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Mary at Swiftly uh, She Flies on Twitter says Toy Story 3 is obviously the best one I saw it pretty hard at the end uh, Eric King says Escape from LA was god awful uh, Elliot T. Schott says Tron Legacy was a decent way of succeeding the original though um, I don't know if it's a best or worst example maybe best soundtrack also Aliens um, Joe Copeland said best recent example Mad Max Fury Road worst example Independence Day Resurgence uh, Dustin says Incredibles 2 uh, Paula Harris says Incredibles 2 was so much better than I was expecting. And uh, Mystique says Train Spotting 2 equals good. Indiana Jones and The King of the Crystal Skull equals the worst. So there's a few familiar ones that keep popping up, including Resurgence. So you chose well, Adam, for a bad pick, clearly. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those mentioned are very interesting. I think Toy Story 3, I have some issues Did with everything before the ending. I think uh, before the ending, I think it has like it's not it kind of is regurgitating a lot of stuff from Toy Story two. What were some of the of these Heather that were mentioned? Uh, what are but what would probably be your favorite? I really like Creed. I actually yeah. really enjoy that sequence. I liked that an African American male came from a wealthy background and chose to be a fighter. I think that was a very smart decision. Because it wasn't this, oh, they came from the hood and they had to build their way up. I think it's acknowledging that individuals from different ethnicities can be successful too. And he was making a choice to follow in his dad's footsteps. And I also enjoyed the um, the interactions between himself and Sylvester Stallone. I thought it was very emotional. I like the Rocky movies to begin with. Like, full disclosure, I love Rocky films. But I really thought yeah, that awesome. movie was classy and smart. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only one I would say is bad of those is Rocky Five. Anyway, um, that's when we and I still like show. Rocky Five. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. But, it's terrible, but, but I still like it too. Yeah, well, and, and even Shaquille mentioned it. Like Rocky Balboa was also that because that came out like a solid sixteen years or so after the original. So good, yeah. right? And that was I was so concerned about Creed going because I'm like, I oh, don't know, you finished it pretty well. I don't know if you need to do it. Yeah. And then I'm watching Creed and I'm sobbing like, oh god, he's got the cancer. <laughs> It's just, so, yeah, and like you said, oh my god! But then even Creed Two, like in all honesty, I don't think it's mm-hmm. as good as Creed, but it's still pretty good, man. Like I was really worried, like I'm fucking, he's gonna fight an Ivan Drago son. This is so stupid, but I thought they handled it very, very well. Especially that's a great example of a legacy sequel where you turn Ivan Drago from a cartoon in four into like an mm-hmm. actual three dimensional character in that movie, which is tremendous. Mm-hmm. But even with um, Creed, also is one of my favorite theatrical experiences where I saw it um, with a pretty packed crowd. Where like I don't usually like talking in movies, but literally everyone was cheering on that final fight, even though it's a fucking movie. Some of the best film boxing scenes ever are yeah, in that Creed. Coogler, 
fucking Coogler mm-hmm. was just like, on, on mm-hmm. his game in that movie. Um, and I mean, I think another one that was mentioned, uh, but is even almost like not quite a sequel, is Mad Max Fury Road. Is probably one of the highest examples. It's a sequel by name. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd argue pretty much all the Mad Max movies are sequels by name. There's little bits and pieces you can pick up from the other movies, but, you know. But no, Fury Road, fuck. Yeah, I think there's a bit of development in the first three, which is like Mad Max clearly gets a bit older with each one. But I like the fact that Fury Road kind of fucks that. We're just like, we're, look, we're going to have Tom Hardy because we're not bringing it back. <laughs> and you know yeah. who you are. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but he's they, still missing the sleeve from when they cut it off. He's right. still got, you know, there's still things that happen in the previous movies that he's showing the signs of. You can make almost any movie and just throw Mad Max sort of into it. Because I'd argue other than the first one, which is solely about Max, the sequels are these other stories that Max just sort of wanders into. There's things that are already happening. He wanders into, he might change events, but then he moves on. No, I can I completely agree with that, and I think especially that works because um, you know speaking of a great example where George Miller made those other movies, and you figure oh he's like seventy, he's coming back to this, and he just gave you the middle finger like I'm gonna make the best it. action yep. movie ever, and actually yep. have like a lot of great commentary about like especially patriarchal stuff and having these like great female characters lead the movie more, and Max just like yeah, literally mm-hmm. gives him the thumbs up like yeah do it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> feminism <laughs> um but no I, I i really that's a great example there and um what about what are ones that you would say are really terrible the thing remake slash sequel mm-hmm. slash prequel why is this even a thing yeah i would concur uh, with some of shaquille's choices especially with like prometheus i was not a huge fan of i thought that was a pretty big disappointment especially with really scott coming back though i prefer <sighs> covenant covenant i think is more of what i wanted even though that's not... Yeah, yeah. I like both. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't love them, but I like them. I, I think Michael Fassbender's performance alone, sort of like, you're like, nah, all right, I can look past a little bit of this because he's so fucking good. I really liked it when I first saw it, but Halloween 2018 is problematic. It's mm-hmm. There's a lot of good ideas there, but it's it's also very stereotypical. Like, they give you what you expect. You're going to get yeah. It doesn't really do anything new. And yeah. there are ones that dis- like Blair Witch is a great example of one I was super disappointed in oh. because here's like I think the first half of that movie is just a bad recreation of the original. Then I really dig like the whole thing where they go in the house and that's such a weird like almost space sci-fi thing of like the house yeah, dude, thing. That fucking thing. That thing. That's chasing them is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. But yeah, the first half, yeah, it's just basically a remake. Yeah. But uh, did you have any, Heather? Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Oh. And I, I went into that movie excited, and I don't mind some of the scenes. I just found Harrison Ford kind of painful. Like, I just kind of felt like we had passed the time, and I'm, I'm, Adam's obviously not going to have no, that I hate show it. ever no, again. I hate it. Oh, okay. I, hate it. I fucking hate it. Shia LaBeau swings on fucking vines. Harrison Ford was painful. Like, he was painful. His acting was yeah. painful. I love the bit in a very funny bad way where like um so i asked him a question about like do you work as a professor and he just says part-time and that's the most they could get out of him <laughs> it's I know. so terrible he looked like sean connery in league of extraordinary gentlemen still trying to be tough and throw punches yes. like he gives a shit and you're like yeah he doesn't care and and no. to contrast with like we mentioned blade runner 2049 even force awakens he's so good in both of those movies. yeah Much yeah better. i agree 
I do. I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, another one I didn't think of. Uh, fucking three from hell. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I've been meaning to watch it. We oh, actually didn't get a release. It's on Shutter. It's on Shutter. Now it is. We now have it in Canada. We didn't have it for a while. Yeah. So. Shit. That mm. one is such a big bummer, considering especially like Sid Haig was very in ill health, and he only appears in like one scene before they execute him. It's very sad. It's especially that's yeah. like one of his last movies. Um, and I loved Devil's Rejects. I absolutely loved it. It yeah, was my same. favorite movie of the year it came out. It's obviously hands down Rob Zombie's best movie. It was a perfect throwback to that seventies era sort of grimy horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre ish. Like Grindhouse, like, uh, like Grindhouse kind of horror. Is that what you're referring? Yeah, to? yeah, yeah, yeah. Dirty yeah. sort of, you know. Yeah. I drank your blood and spit on your grave. Like, it's, yeah. it's crazy shit. Yeah, and then I fuck your mom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, you save that for the sequel. That's the tagline yeah, of the sequel. That's right. <laughs> awful. It's, it's awful. It's really yeah. desperate for zombie to go back to it that way. You but, know, I mean, I'm not a big Rob Sambi fan, so you're not selling it. Like I like some of his movies, so I'm not. I'm not convinced to watch Three from Hell. I think you've saved me some time. Honestly, don't. Unless unless it comes up on assignment for your show, I wouldn't bother. Well, I call the shots on my show, so it won't come up. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome for our service, ma'am. Uh, we provide. Uh, the last but, one I want to mention is the Mummy Three with Brendan Fraser, and then that chick that wasn't Rachel. Yeah, I complete. That's a great example of a bad one. Yeah, yeah I completely yeah. agree with that. Because I like two. The first two were fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, the hell they did with that third one you know some underrated ones just real quick um that some people mentioned like train spotting 2 i was very surprised by because i haven't watched that yet i really no, I love the original movie um and i think train spotting 2 is so interesting because it's doing the legacy sequel thing of like oh we're going back to these people who were drug addicts and now they have different addictions like even Ewan mcgregor for example is a fitness addict in this one and he literally has like a heart attack on a treadmill mm. and it's such a great i'm a very big fan of danny boyle i think he's a very underrated director I think does such an incredible job with that one in terms of just like really coming back to that same style, but in a way that's like, oh, this is older. You kind of feel the feebleness. And James mentioned it, but Bad Boys for Life was surprisingly good. In yeah, that opening scene where they're pretending to be KKK members and then they get that's, no, 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 that's, that's two, second, I believe. That's the second one. That's two. Oh, isn't that? Oh, you guys talking about Bat? Is that the most recent one? Well, yeah, the one that came out earlier this year. But even Bad Boys Two is also an example of that because the first came out in '95 and the second one didn't come out till like 2003. So that is even another example, and that movie we talked about is bananas in a very fascinating way. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so weird. But even yeah. the the third one, the recent one, I was surprised. Like I got kind of emotionally invested. Um, Me too. And as good as like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are great. Joey Pants steals that movie. He's so Absolutely. fucking great. He's so good. Absolutely. Uh, the only thing that I had the problem with the movie is it's there's some spotty visual effects. Other than that, I think it's a fun fun time. Yeah, and even without the bay, except though for that cameo. And that cameo is so great yeah. when he pops yeah. up. I got a question for you, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Clerks 2? I like Clerks 2 when it came out. I think it's very problematic now. But if you watch it under the aspect of how maybe what the times were like when it first came out or how you felt when it first came out, I think it's still kind of fun. I almost prefer it to the first one in I a lot of ways. I prefer it to the first one. I think it's funnier than the first one personally. Um, but I'm very, very skeptical about anything Kevin Smith moving forward because everything post Clerks 2, I'd argue, has not been good. Uh, the one maybe I, I do kind of like Red State. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I, I think Red State's a pretty good sort of thriller. Uh, I hated Jane's Out of the Bob Strike Back. I hated Tusk. 
I fucking hate yoga hosers. So, I mean, we'll see. There's there's funny bits in Clerks 2. It is Clerks 1 on steroids. Uh, they're, they're trying to be as off- offensive as they can be. You know what scene where they're making fun of Lord of the Rings? Yes. That scene I could watch <laughs> repeat, and I find it so funny. And I, like, probably because I'm not a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, I respect the films. They're just not my jam. This was my last and only time on Double Edge Double Bill, so thank no. you for having me. Um, We've had worse like, guests. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know Scott's been on here. So, <laughs> anyway, um, that's that part of that. I probably, when I think back to what I think is so funny, I don't know why, but that scene just cracks me up every time I watch it. I mean, to go back to the the Clerks 2 of it all, I liked it a lot more at the time, um, but I've grown a lot more distant to it. I would honestly say, in terms of kind of like calling back to the original movie and sort of like Smith's sort of time making that movie, I think the movie he followed it up with actually, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, feels a lot more like a better spiritual sequel. Mm, Yeah. I agree. I forgot about that movie. I love Zack and Mary Make a Porno, actually. Very funny. Very good mm-hmm. movie. Um, that yeah. Best Justin like, Long ever. Best Justin yeah, Long ever. Yeah. And it's about him. Like it's about Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks making a porn movie, but in their place of work. It mirrors so, so much funny. of like the actual experience of making the original Clerks so well. And I would also say Clerks. Um, I don't think it's necessarily his best movie, but that the sort of um, amateurish charm I think supersedes the glossier thing with Clerks too. It feels a bit more commercially done in a way that disappointed me. Hey, man. Agree to disagree. <laughs> well, on that note, we should go ahead and get into our thank yous and wrapping up, though. Stay tuned for our picking for next week, as we will do uh, for a very special episode, as we'll talk about. Um, thanks to Chris Oliver, though, for the intro and outro music used on our show. You can listen to him at uh, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com and download his stuff. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And, of course, thanks to Heather for being on the show. Lovely to have you, Heather. Go ahead and promote yourself, your, your various podcasts, as you kind of referenced. Well, at the beginning, I said I'm on the Friday Nightmares podcast with Mr. Scott Crawford. So you can find us on the Kill the Cast feed, which is on the Legion Network. I'm also a co-host on a commentary called Is Not Horror Okay, uh, where we watch cheesy action movies from the 80s. And it's pretty inappropriate language, so I recommend not listening to it at work or around children. And that is on Horrorphilia. And then I do a bunch of guest spots between the Legion Network um, as well as Horrorphilia. But also recently, I was on Horror for Dummies, which is a uh, podcast all the way from australia and we talked about terminator so i'm really proud of that work and it's on our facebook page and you can follow us at uh, the friday nightmares podcast yeah I'm, I'm glad you didn't bring any of that language to our christian show here heather i know i really tried to behave well oh, that show's all fucking, you fucking <laughs> guys if you listen to that show you would be like heather like it's pretty it's it's like an alter personality so yeah, that, that, that's true that that makes me and adam look like good boys very good yes. boys well behaved yes you would look like very good boys <laughs> Uh, but you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, where we share those feelers asking you about your feedback that we re- read over here. And also you can uh, email us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. I also have my own Twitter account, Instagram, at NotTheWho'sTommy, um, where I post my musings. And also I write for, um, I have a personal blog, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com for reviews and stuff. And also TrueSuperheroFans.com, which is where we do some satirical Onion-style superhero film news. And uh, you can find Adam uh, trying to get out of the clamp building and escape the uh, female gremlin. Though I don't know what you want to. She's a babe. Yeah, she she is bae. Uh, no, I got <laughs> I got fucking nothing going on, man. I, I got my personal Facebook page, and then I, I admin uh, for a drinking group on Facebook, which I think is such a private 
But if you want to join the festivities, send me a message and I'll add you to the group, I guess. Or I won't. I don't know. It depends. You know, who knows? <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah. The, that group is, by the way, called Quarantine Chugs, correct? Yes, with, with an exclamation point. With an exclamation point, yes. Uh, you might find some of us on there drinking, Heather. Hey, we, we got to yeah. fucking damn near 300 members in five days. Tremendous work, yes. But, uh, yeah, if you want more of this great content here of us, uh, just subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're on the ESO network, we're there, of course. You can listen to all the other great shows. But, you know, we did a bunch of shows before we joined ESO, and you can uh, subscribe to our Podbean network and get, like, the 67 episodes we did before joining them. And, uh, you know, if you like the show, if you could, please just, like, rate, review, or just share it around. Helps us get more visibility out there in the podcast-averse. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? I mean, seriously, <laughs> I, I start a group for drinking. I invite 50 people. It goes to 300 in, in five days. I've had this this podcast page for, you know, for fucking, what, over almost two years now. And I have more I have more members on the drinking group. You need to send <laughs> nudes. Maybe if you offered nudes... There would be more people. No one wants. There would be that. less people. <laughs> There'd be way less people. Uh, but you, you could promote the show on the quarantine jugs group, Adam. Yeah. Um, so could you, fucker? You belong to the group. That's true. I could, but I, I got too drunk to do but it. It's you. <laughs> um, but yeah, promote your, hey, no, 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 there you go. Promote your guys' shows on the group. Fuck it. Do that's it. That's true. Yeah. Well, we I'm going to delete all of it. Take a take a shot and then say like, oh, listen to this podcast, whatever. Who knows? Yeah. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned two years, Adam, because it's a perfect segue into our picking, because it's for a very special episode. It's our two-year anniversary, Adam. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know. Yes, we've been doing this for two years now, and uh, we're celebrating by, you know, um, our first episode was about Marvel adaptations. Our first year anniversary was specifically MCU movies, and we're going to change it up a bit and do specifically graphic novel adaptations. Because uh, there's a lot of potential in that, especially those things you didn't know were graphic novels that end up being, that, you know, are adapted into movies later. Um, but, you know, you have your two good picks this time, Adam. Or two. And you've assigned each number between one and ten. I've done the same for my two bad picks. And so usually we would do this for each other or guess a number between one and ten, and then it gets us the good and bad pick. But with a guess, the lovely Heather gets the opportunity to do so. So for Adam's two good picks, first off, number between one and ten, Heather. Uh, five. Okay, at number seven, I have a great movie, I think. Uh, the Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, Jude Law, uh, the, the fucking douchebag who plays Superman now, uh, Road to Perdition. Oh my god, that's so great. I'm, I'm glad we're doing that. I love it's that movie. such a good movie. It's so good. It's so good. My other pick was History of Violence, the David Cronenberg movie. One I have not seen. Also, movie too. Yeah, based on graphic novels, both of them, and they're both badass. Uh, that that's that's great though. I can't wait to talk about our prediction. But now, Heather, for my two bad choices, number between one and ten. Three. Okay. So uh, this is one that's a bit controversial between Adam and I, uh, because uh, I think you're a fan, and I've grown to not be as of recent. When I rewatched it, I have at number three actually ran the dot. Watchmen, the Zack Snyder film. I like Watchmen. I, I fucking love Watchmen. Uh, how do you not like that movie? It's great. Well, we'll listen to next week, Heather, to find out. Um, but then, uh, <laughs> at uh, number eight, I had, and I think this might be a bit controversial because I don't know if it's like, it, it's a limited series, I think, but it only, it was like six issues, Wanted, from 2008. I, uh, 
Yeah, okay. I'm better with Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a lot to talk about on that. So um, that is the end of our show. And on that very note, um, to, you know, to stay in the spirit of Looney Tunes and Grimlins 2, uh, that's all, folks. Good night, everybody. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Fun, but in no sense civilized. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.